This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses, for if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days, but what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared by you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for on this day I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. In the first month, from the fourteenth day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the twenty-first day of the month at evening. For seven days no leavened bread is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a sojourner or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened in all your dwelling places. You shall eat unleavened bread. You shall observe this rite as a statute for you and your sons forever. When you come to the land that the Lord shall give you, as he promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshiped. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is the statute of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat of it, but every slave that is bought for money, may eat of it after you have circumcised him. No foreigner or hired worker may eat of it. It shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside of the house, and you shall not break any of its bones. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. If a stranger shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord... Let his males be circumcised. Then he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land, but no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. There shall be one law for the native and for the stranger who sojourns among you. Thank you, Nathan. You may be seated. Let's pray together. To our eternal and triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the one whose mercy is long and high and deep and wide, sufficient and able to cover a life of sin and rebellion. What a gloriously good and gracious God you are. And what an unspeakable privilege it is not only to gather and worship you today, but simply to know you. You are too wonderful for words, though we offer them anyway. As far as the heavens are above the earth, so are your thoughts and ways higher than our own. And when compared to you, we are as dust. And when held up to the incandescent radiance of your holiness, we are nothing. Father, we acknowledge 
And we grieve how we sin against you. And we plead for forgiveness. We ask that you would search our hearts to the very depths. Root out any sin that is found there, even that of which we are unaware. Drag it into the light and kill it. Cleanse and purify us from all unrighteousness. Help us to hate sin as much as you do, especially the sin that dwells within our own hearts. And we ask this not because we deserve it, but because through the work of Jesus on the cross and his shed blood, you promise us that if we will confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive them. And so confess them we do. Father, I pray for this church, for Redeemer, this dear, precious church that is the source of so many blessings. And not for this church only, but for all of your people gathered around the globe, wherever they may be. Father, we need you. Of course, this is true every hour of every day. But in these days, it seems like we are threatened not only by our enemy, the devil, not only by the powers of this world, but most distressingly by our own flesh, by the temptation to disunity and bitterness toward one another. We are tempted to put our hope in so many things, whether it be worldly power, wealth, acceptance, whatever it may be. So help us this morning. Help us to remember that you alone are our hope. Help us to love one another, even in the midst of disagreement. Help us to love those in the world around us, and yes, especially our enemies. Help us to do it in such a way that the world would know we are yours. And now I ask for help in the preaching of your word. I tremble at the awesome responsibility of opening it and declaring what you have said. And yet may every single word from my mouth be true, be of you, and bring glory to you. And if anything I say is not of you, then shut my mouth. But for all that is yours, may it encourage and strengthen and heal and embolden those who are yours. And in the way that only you can do, may it bring life and salvation to those who do not know you. It is, as ever, in the name of your Son and by the power of your Spirit that we ask these things. Amen. Well, good morning. It is so good to see you and to have you with us today. Thank you for being here. If you haven't done so already, go ahead and open your Bibles to the book of Exodus, chapter 12. If you're just rejoining us for the first time, we are continuing our series through the book of Exodus called Our God Saves. And if you weren't here last week, we're in the midst of a three-week stretch where we are in the absolute thick of this theme. And I say that because we have come to the story of Passover. And as Jamie shared last week, this story, this moment, shapes everything about the people of Israel. It shaped everything from their calendar, to their history, to their rhythm of life, to their hopes, their expectations for the future, to their dreams, everything about them is shaped by this moment. And it would be no exaggeration to say that for them, this literally changed everything. Because in a very real sense, this is where they become a people. 
This is where they are now physically set apart. And of course, it not only changed everything for the people of Israel, but as we're going to see this morning, it changes everything for us as well. Because you see, Scripture tells us that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And what you learn as you spend more time in Scripture is when you see Him working in one part, it either reveals or helps you understand how He works elsewhere. Now, that doesn't mean that He's going to do everything in exactly the same way at every time. No, what I mean is that when we see Him work, we get a little glimpse of His heart of his character, of his nature, of his, of his ways. And in the story of the Passover, it's, it's almost as though he pauses for just a moment amidst the chaos of all the plagues. And before we get into the frantic activity of the Exodus itself, it's like he stops and gives us this wide open, crystal clear view of his heart that beats for his people. And he gives us just a little taste of what he is going to do. And that, I think, highlights the main point of, of this passage and our sermon this morning, which is this. In the Passover, we remember and we celebrate God's rescue of his people from bondage in Egypt. And we eagerly await his rescue of his people from sin. Now, of course, that is ultimately what this series, Our God Saves, is about. It's what the book of Exodus is about. It's what every word in this extraordinary book is about. It's about showing us the God who by the mere power of his word spoke and the whole universe came into being and yet who goes to extraordinary lengths to save his people. And today in particular is going to tell us about his deliverance of his people from a centuries-long existence in bondage in Egypt and point us toward how he does the same work in our own lives. Friends, that's amazing. That is breathtaking. God forgive us for when we ever, ever cease to be astounded and amazed at what he has done and at who he is. And what, what I really, really want you to see this morning is not just this story of an extraordinary deliverance of a people in a moment of time, though we're going to look at that. I want you to see, and I want you to know down in the deep, deep depths of your bones that the God who rescued his people here is the God who rescues his people today. Now to see that, we're going to have to do our work through the passage. So look back at Exodus chapter 12, verses 14 and 17 with me. And as you do, our first point this morning is this, a celebration of rescue. A celebration of rescue. Look at verses 14 and 17. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord. Throughout your generations, as a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For on this day, I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. So first, we see that this is to be a celebration of rescue, specifically of the fact that on this day, God brought them out of the land of Egypt. Now, if you've been with us, you know why this is such a cause for celebration. But in the spirit of keeping the work of the Lord squarely in front of us, let's Let's briefly recap what's brought us to this moment. Because as this is happening, 430 years before, you had a teenage boy named Joseph, who, let's be fair, was a little bit of a smart aleck. 
and he had older brothers who decided they had just had enough. And thinking that killing him might be a step too far, they compromised and said, fine, we'll sell him into slavery. So into slavery he goes, and he finds his way to Egypt, where, through the providence of God, he rises to become the second most powerful man in that whole empire, directly under Pharaoh. And then because God showed it to him, he was able to foretell the coming of a severe seven-year famine and prepare for it. Well, then wouldn't you know it? The brothers show up needing food, not recognizing that it's their long-lost brother. Through what had to be the most awkward but ultimately joyous reunion ever, they figure out what's happening. And Pharaoh says, Joseph, bring your family, which at this point was about 70 people. He said, bring them and settle them in the best land Egypt has. And so he did. But then scripture tells us a new Pharaoh rises, one who doesn't know and who doesn't remember Joseph. And in a, in a spirit of fear and greed, fear because he's looking at this people that has now grown to about 2 million people, and he worries, man, they could, they could conquer us if they decided. Greed because he sees, we've also got a cheap, ready-made source of labor right there. He puts them in bondage. And so it is when the book of Exodus opens that the people are in slavery. But then God raises up a man named Moses, and we've been looking at his story, of course. And he tells Moses, Moses, you're going to go to Pharaoh, and you're going to tell him to let my people go. And he's going to, but until he does, I'm going to bring plagues on Egypt. And that's what we've been looking at over the last several weeks. And maybe you've wondered, why all the plagues? Like, what was the point of this whole exercise, if God was just going to deliver his people. Well, I think God gives us some real insight into his heart behind that in verses 12 and 13, when he says, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So you see, we really start to see what God is doing in the life of his people here. He's not only delivering them from physical slavery to Egypt, though he is doing that. But he is also, I think, delivering them from the temptation to and the bondage of thinking there is any other God besides himself. Now, we don't have to rehash each plague, and there are lots of really smart people that have written great articles on how each plague corresponded to an Egyptian god and how they were defeated, and it's fascinating, so go check that out. But, but what I want us to see here is how easy might it have been over these 400 plus years for the people of Israel to stop and look and be like, wait a minute, look at these guys. They're prospering, they're growing in power, we're sitting over here in slaves, maybe we should check out the god's they're worshiping because, yeah, I mean, I know we have a God who supposedly did something a long time ago for us and said he would deliver us one day, but here we are. We're slaves. Maybe, maybe we should go worship them. Well, God has resoundingly answered that challenge because what is clear at the end of these plagues is Egypt's might is no match for him. Egypt's Pharaoh is no match for him. And every single one of Egypt's small G gods is no match for him, no, the Lord has executed judgment on them all. And this is a cause worthy of celebration. This is a deliverance far more encompassing, far more profound than they ever imagined. And it should be celebrated. 
Second, and as part of this celebration, we also see several verses that deal heavily with the preparation and eating of unleavened bread. Now, we'll look at that a lot more in a few weeks when we get to chapter 13 and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, but it was part of the overall Passover celebration, which is um, sufficient for our purposes this morning, is the summary given in verse 39, which tells us that they baked unleavened cakes of the dough that they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. So in this celebration, I think we can glean two truths from this particular aspect of it. First, they celebrate that rescue came when God decided to act. This deliverance was not going to come in their own strength. It was not going to happen in their own timing, but only when God moved. And second, it showed that they were going to be entirely dependent on God for their provision. It says it happened so fast, they had to leave without getting anything. So from that moment and forward, they were wholly dependent on him. So as we, re- we reflect on this being a celebration of rescue, what, what's important for us to remember? I think there are three reasons that it's important that we see from the text. One, it is important because of the magnitude of what God has done. It is right and good that we make much, not not of ourselves, but that we spotlight, that we highlight, that we celebrate God and his mighty works. It is good that we do that. Two, it's important that it also teaches us that we are dependent on God alone. It is not in our own strength. It is not in our own resources. It is not in our own provision that we can trust, but in him and him alone. And then three, I really want you to hear this because I wonder, might we be tempted to enthrone other gods? Might we be tempted to look around at this world and wonder, man, it sure seems like evil is prospering. Might we be tempted to look around and think, God, if you're there, you sure seem to be moving awfully slowly. Maybe I should go check out these other gods. No, we, just like the people of Israel, have to learn. We have to know that the Lord our God is the only God above all. And there is no other. So how do we do this? Well, that takes us to our second point, which is that this is a celebration of remembrance. A celebration of remembrance. Look again at verses 14. And then 24 through 27 with me. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. You shall observe this rite as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses, and the people bowed their heads and worshiped. Now, what is very clear from these verses is that God considers it paramount for his people to remember this day, to remember what he has done. And based on the strength of the language, when he says things like, throughout your generations, as a statute forever, as a statute for you and your sons forever, he intends that they never stop remembering. Why this strong emphasis on remembering? 
Well, it seems maybe like a simplistic question, but I think, again, the text shows us three reasons why God was so, so adamant that they be very intentional, they be very diligent about remembering what he had done. First, it is necessary to remember because we are prone to forget. Sadly, after all too short a time, and in the face of the mildest opposition, we are prone to forget God. One of my favorite hymns that we sing here, it's from the 1750s, and it's called Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And there's a section in it where it says, Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Now, be honest, who was afraid I was about to sing that? Because I assure you that's something nobody needs to remember ever. But, but I, love, I love these lines because it reminds me how I need the Lord to keep me near to him. How I need the Lord to help me remember what he's done. Because I am prone to wander. I am prone to forget. And I hope you won't think too much less of me for confessing that. But sadly, it's true. You know, I remember as our family was walking with the Lord through the process that he used to, to bring us into this life of ministry and bring us to Redeemer. I was talking to my friend Clarence. He's a former law partner of mine and, and is an elder at our sending church. And when we were getting near the end and we saw that, oh, this is really going to happen. Like, Lord, you have done everything to make this happen. I walked into his office one day. I was like, Clarence, if I ever, and I, if I ever tell you again that I'm doubting God, please just punch me in the face. Now, he hasn't yet. He probably should have a couple of times. But how silly of me to see all that happen and to still doubt and worry. Or I think about how, goodness, more than 10 years ago now, when Brittany and I were walking through our adoption process, we saw the Lord work in so many ways that were completely beyond us. And if you've gone through that journey, you know what that looks like. But we saw him time after time after time provide above and beyond anything we could have done and still, I worry, and I doubt, and I wonder, God, could you really do it again? Shame on me. So we must remember so that we do not forget. And we have to labor at this. This doesn't happen by accident. And by way of a very immediate example, one thing we can do is tell one another of the good things God has done. I fear that sometimes we neglect to do this, but he is constantly at work. So while we're we're talking about this and in the spirit of, of adoption and everything. Can I just say for a second, thank you to the people of Redeemer and to the Lord. For those of you who don't know, our own Jacob and Ashlyn Kinberger working, walking through the adoption process. And last weekend, they had a yard sale filled mostly with stuff from Redeemer people because y'all got a lot of stuff. And it was all there. And now it's all gone because the Lord provided $5,000 through a yard sale. That's amazing. Praise God for that. And they asked me specifically to thank you, Redeemer, for your contributions, your help, your prayers, everything that you did. But let's tell each other of the good things the Lord has done so that we don't forget. Let's remember. The second reason we have to remember is to tell those who come after us what God has done. Look again at verses 26 and 27. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel and Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. Note that there are two components to this remembering. You see that God has instituted these feasts, these celebrations, these ceremonies, all of these things that are going to be very, very visual, very tactile. They're going to see it and experience it. And, and that's good. 
but he also commands them to tell their children about what God has done. There's a, there's a both and component to this, and I hope you see that lived out here at Redeemer because we believe that it is very important that our children see us worship. That's why we invite kids to be a part of our worship gathering. They need to see us sing. They need to see us pray. They need to see people get baptized. They need to see people take the Lord's Supper. These are good and necessary things. And I think the passage is clear that it is not enough just to see. We have to tell them why we do these things. What is happening here? Because otherwise what we do is weird. This is not normal. It just feels like as we've always done it. But if you don't tell people what we're doing, it doesn't make any sense. And that's why we are so passionate about our kids' ministry here. We want to often and deeply tell our kids who their God is, why he is so good, why he can be trusted. And let me encourage you, make this a part of your life in your home. I don't know what your rhythms look like. I don't know what your day-to-day looks like. But find a way to tell each other the good things that God has done. And friends, you don't have to have a PhD in theology to make this happen. It's good if you do. Josh, we're grateful for people like you. But if you don't, it's okay. It can be very simple. And I can 100% guarantee you, if you struggle with that, if you're like, I don't know what to do, our kids director at Dukes would love nothing more than to help you think through that. While we're on the topic, I can also 100% guarantee you that our kids director, Megan Dukes, would greatly welcome your help at our kids night ministry event on Sunday nights. Friends, the Lord is doing amazing things there. Every Sunday night, we have got 50 plus kids hearing the gospel hearing about the goodness of God, and it is phenomenal. But we desperately need grown-ups. So if you are available and not yet helping, would you consider helping us help our kids remember the Lord? Because it matters so much. I'm reminded of Psalm 78, verses 5 through 7, which elaborates on this idea, and it says, He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. Amen, and God help us. The third reason I think we need to remember is so that we will worship and believe. That's what the last part of verse 27 said. It said, when they had heard all this, the people bowed their heads and worshiped. That should be our constant response to the work of God. It's not just about learning more information. It's not just about getting together like this. Those are good things. But always and forever, the right response to the work of God is worship. That should be how we respond to him. It it makes me think of a moment in a book called The Silver Chair. It's one of C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia stories. And in that, you have Aslan, who's the lion. He's the Christ figure. And he's speaking to Jill, one of the human characters. And he's giving her four signs to remember as they're on their journey to rescue the kidnapped friends. It's very thrilling. You should read it. It's good. But he says this, and, and it picks up on this idea. He says, remember, remember, remember the signs. Say them to yourself when you wake in the morning and when you lay down at night and when you wake in the middle of the night and whatever strange things may happen to you, let nothing turn your mind from following the signs. Remember the signs and believe the signs. Nothing else matters. 
So it is with the works of God. If we remember and if we believe in him, that in the, in the truest, deepest sense of that phrase, nothing else matters. You may say, wait a minute. Feels like a little bit of a stretch. Nothing? Really? Are you sure? Nothing? Else? Yes, I'm sure. And I'm going to show you why, but that's going to take us to our third point, a celebration of redemption. A celebration of redemption. Look once more at verses 46 through 49 with me. It shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside the house, and you shall not break any of its bones. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. If a stranger shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised. Then he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land, but no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. There shall be one law for the native and for the stranger who sojourns among you. Man, there's so much here, and we don't have time to do it all justice, but I want to highlight just a couple of things before we close. First, there has been such rich imagery throughout this whole story of the Passover. Paramount, of course, is the shedding of the blood of the innocent lamb spread on the doorpost so that God's judgment would pass over that house. But there's another moment here, and if you blink, you'll miss it. In verse 46, it says of the Passover lamb that you shall not break any of its bones. Now, that should set some alarm bells ringing. Why? Because 13 to 1500 years after this, there would be another Passover meal. And the blood of another innocent would be shed. And I want you to hear how John 19 describes this death, specifically in verses 33 and 36. It says, But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken not only that, but it was John the Baptist who introduced Jesus during his earthly ministry in John 1.29, and he said this, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is it. This is it. This is why this story matters so much. This is why we can say this literally changes everything. This is why we can say this transcends everything else. And if you believe and remember, then nothing else matters. Because friends, it was never just about a lamb. It was never just about delivering people from a physical slavery to a nation. No, it was about preparing us for the coming of the true and better Passover lamb. The son of God who would come not just to deliver us from physical slavery, but from the death of sin to eternal life forever with him. And I think theologian and author Stephen Wellam gets this just right in his magisterial book. It's called Christ Alone. And he says this, in Christ's death and resurrection, new meaning is given to the Passover. It is insufficient to interpret the Passover and the subsequent event of the Exodus merely as an act of power or deliverance. Rather, we must grasp the staggering claim Jesus makes that in him and in his cross, he is fulfilling the Passover. For Jesus to say that the Passover cup is now his blood, inaugurating the new covenant, is to claim that his death is a priestly, substitutionary sacrifice on our behalf, which results in God's remembering our sin no more. Amen and amen. That, 
This is why we have been so excited for you to see this story and to see it anew. Because just as the offer was made for the foreigner and the stranger to join Israel in its deliverance from Egypt by trusting in God's promise, friends, we, we are the aliens and strangers to whom God said, I will bring you from death to life if you trust in my promise. If you will repent of your sin, if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And that is a very, very good news. And maybe you would say, have I sinned too much? No, you haven't. Maybe you would say, but you don't know what I have done. No, I don't, but I don't have to. Maybe you would say, but I don't think I'm good enough. You're not, and that's the point. This is not about what you can do. It is about what God has done. Now maybe, just maybe, maybe that's not where your fear is this morning. Maybe you would say, okay, I get all that. But when I look around this room, for whatever reason, I feel like I'm just a little different from everybody that's around me. And, and I wonder, even if all that's true, would I really be welcome here? Can I really be a part of this family? And if that's your fear, if that's your worry this morning, then I want you to hear one more thing and then we'll close. Notice again what it said in verse 48. If a stranger shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover of the Lord, let all his males be circumcised, then he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land. This is a wonderful verse that I fear we pass by too quickly because I think, I hope, most Christians are at least comfortable with the idea that the gospel of Christ is for all nations and for all peoples. But I think sometimes we can assume that in the Old Testament, God was ever only concerned with or cared for the people of Israel. But that's not so. No, his promise to Abraham was that through your offspring, you will be a blessing to all nations. And here we see 3,000 years ago, God was working to deliver his people and the inclusion of the stranger and the foreigner was present from the very beginning. He invited all those who had placed their hope in him and trust in his promise to be a part of this deliverance. Do you remember how earlier I said God never changes? Well, that attains right here, right now, today. And I so wish we had time to really dig into this, but we don't. But let me say this. I don't know where you might fall on our political, cultural spectrum. And, and frankly, for this moment, I don't care. But I think wherever you are, we could say that there are so many things in this nation and in our world that are working to tear us apart, to foster bitterness and enmity and division and to just rend that unity that God calls us to have. And, and Redeemer, we, we more than anybody else, should be uniquely positioned to counter and to resist that. Not because of anything inherently good in us, mercy, no, but because we serve a God who from the beginning has extended his offer of salvation and of grace and deliverance to all who would come to him, no matter their race, no matter their gender, no matter their nationality, 
no matter their social or economic status, no matter their vocation, no matter their political preference, no matter any single thing that this world says should divide you. Because you know what? It all falls apart at the cross. Every single one of those things is laid waste by the blood of Jesus. So let me ask you this. How are you extending the love and offer of Christ to the stranger and foreigner whom you encounter? How are you living so that anyone who would see you would say, I don't know much else, but I get from them that I am made in the image of God and he cares. Now, if I say that to you and that gets your back up just a little bit, and I get it because it does it to me too, then let me ask you to consider this. Remember what it was that led you into the body of Christ, which I remind you, not a single one of us deserved one bit more than any single person we will ever meet. So remember this, Redeemer. Behold the Lamb. Behold the Lamb of God who was slain and who takes away the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb who will ransom a people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Behold the Lamb before all, before whom all will say, worthy is he, worthy to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. To him be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever and ever. Amen. That's good news. That's a celebration right there. And every Redeemer, we get to behold the Lamb by taking the Lord's Supper together.